is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from the state capital of Tallahassee, where the health department reports 100 fatalities and 15,431 new cases of COVID-19. That is the second highest number of cases in one day since the pandemic began. As schools reopen across the state, teachers and other school personnel who come in contact with kids every day are wondering when they'll be able to get their COVID vaccinations. Many of our teachers and support staff are nearly 65 years old and have one or more pre-existing conditions, and they are in classrooms, driving buses, serving our students in cafeterias, etc. But the governor says the only teachers who can get shots now are the ones 65 and older. He claims the decision is driven by data. But again, it could also be retribution for the teachers' union that sued over his forced reopening of schools back in August. Speaking of retribution, a state appeals court hears the case of a legislative aide who was fired after reporting her boss, former state representative Kim Daniels, who was making her run personal errands on the taxpayer dime. And she had reported not only those tasks, but it also reported a representative's boyfriend had stepped in and was also having her perform tasks that were not part of her job duties. Daniels was voted out of office last year, but the Florida House is still defending her. They claim the suit should be dismissed because lawmakers have immunity. One of our lawmakers in D.C. is calling for the censure of a colleague. Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz accuses Texas Congressman Louie Gohmert of encouraging Americans to engage in violence to try to overturn the election of Joe Biden. Pouring rhetorical gasoline onto the smoldering powder keg is dangerous and brings shame on themselves and this House. Members of Congress have moral and civic responsibility to assuage these threats, not stoke them. If we are going to help heal this nation, we must first hold our own members accountable, starting in our own house. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the story of a Florida man who celebrated the new year by driving an airboat through his neighborhood while setting off fireworks and mowing down garbage cans. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, January 6th. It was on this date in 1952, a new comic strip called Peanuts made its debut. The CBS Radio Mystery Theater was first broadcast on this date in 1974. And in 1994, U.S. figure skater Nancy Kerrigan was clubbed on the leg by an assailant in Detroit. Four men were later sentenced to prison for the attack, including the ex-husband of rival skater Tanya Harding. January 6th is also National Take a Poet to Lunch Day and National Take Down the Christmas Tree Day. This is a huge day in the nation's capital as the Proud Boys and other disgruntled supporters of Donald Trump gather to protest today's count of the Electoral College votes. In the midst of this chaos, Florida Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz has filed a formal resolution calling for the House to censure a fellow congressman from Texas who urged Americans to consider resorting to street violence to overturn the election of Joe Biden. Wasserman Schultz says he's pouring gasoline on the fire. I filed this censure resolution because the People's House cannot stand idly by while one of its members incites or prods violence towards colleagues when political results don't go their way, while cynically exploiting and inflaming our nation's political and societal divisions for their own political gain. This is not a game. You don't get a do-over or another turn to explain what you meant when people's lives are at stake. You can't unsay suggesting violence is the only remedy, and people can't unhear it. Words have power. We live in a time where words can cause hurt and harm to people's livelihoods and their very lives. As members of Congress, we have a moral and ethical responsibility to uphold a higher standard. The Congressman for Texas, Louis Gohmert, who has a big platform that has been afforded to him by the people, 
has without question contributed to this spiral of destructive behavior with his unconscionable calls and encouragement to political violence. This kind of incitement is beyond the pale and cannot be tolerated in a healthy functioning democratic society and certainly not from a member of this body. We have just endured one of the most intensely dissected presidential elections of our lifetime. There were multiple counts and recounts beyond our typical election norms. After dozens of specious legal challenges, a broad range of judges and election officials, including many Republicans, deemed this one of the most accurate and reliable exercises in democracy we have had at the national level. Yet we have a member of the United States House of Representatives who on at least two occasions, as recently as last Friday, suggested overthrowing our government and resorting to acts of violence as the only recourse for people who don't like and haven't been able to change the election outcome. That cannot be allowed to stand without a strong rebuke. If cynical demagogues convince their supporters that a truly legitimate election was somehow illegitimate, then our entire democratic system of government unravels because the people may lose faith in their leaders. But if they go even further and suggest violent retaliation, the underpinnings of our democracy unravel. These veiled and more explicit calls for violent action, and the evidence is clear that the Texas congressman has done both, carry potentially horrific real consequences. And I have seen these consequences up close. Many will recall that a rabid Trump supporter sent out 16 crude pipe bombs with my misspelled name scrawled on them as the purported sender in the return address of the bomb packages. One of those packages was returned to my district office where my staff and other city officials handed it, handled it or were in close proximity to it for almost an entire week. We were blessed that my staff had the training and foresight not to open it and call the authorities. But what if they had to open it? Because of the danger it posed, that bomb had to be detonated in a stairwell just feet from my district office doorway. This nation has unfortunately experienced other similarly violent attempts to settle our political differences during this president's term. Our words matter. When incendiary messages are uttered by a member of Congress, it risks provoking extremist individuals into acting on that encouragement, especially in our tinderbox climate. Right now, right-wing militia hate groups like the Three Percenters, Proud Boys, and Oath Keepers are on their way to Washington. They're being spurred to come here by erroneous claims of a rigged election and bald-faced debunked lies about rampant voting fraud. That's a recipe for desperation, irrational acts, and potentially needless violence. Members of Congress, pouring rhetorical gasoline onto the smoldering powder keg is dangerous and brings shame on themselves and this House. Members of Congress have moral and civic responsibility to assuage these threats, not stoke them. If we are going to help heal this nation, we must first hold our own members accountable, starting in our own House. It will be several weeks before there's a vote on the censure resolution. One side note, the Florida man who leads the Proud Boys will not be able to attend the protest today, at least not legally. He's been banned from Washington, D.C. until June. Enrique Tarrio was arrested for burning a Black Lives Matter banner at a historic church in D.C. last month, which he has admitted on social media and in numerous interviews. He's also facing two felony charges for having two high-capacity rifle magazines loaded with 60 rounds in his possession. The COVID surge continues in Florida with 100 more fatalities and more than 15,000 new infections. There have now been 22,515 deaths in Florida since the start of the pandemic. The number of confirmed cases will exceed 1.4 million when today's COVID casualty report is released. Officials at Orange County schools are asking the governor to make teachers a priority for COVID-19 vaccinations. Their superintendent sent a formal request to the governor, and school board chair Teresa Jacobs is asking state senators and representatives of Orange County to make that happen. We want to make sure that as the vaccine rolls out, 
and the recovery begins, that we continue to work together in the coming months to be well positioned to provide the resources necessary for our students to succeed. As you probably know, Dr. Jenkins recently asked the governor to include teachers and frontline K-12 employees to be among the first groups to receive the vaccine. Many of our teachers and support staff are nearly 65 years old and have one or more pre-existing conditions, and they are in classrooms, driving buses, serving our students in cafeterias, et cetera. We strongly believe that we need to protect our frontline employees for their benefit, for the benefit of our students, and for the benefit of our greater community. In terms of uh, prioritizing those teachers that are 65 and over within the group of 65-year-olds, um, absolutely, I think that would be advantageous. Um, I also think it would be advantageous to prioritize teachers in general. Maybe there's an age threshold that should be set that's below 65 for those teachers, but we strongly believe that we've got to keep our teachers safe. But don't expect much of anything from the governor. Ron DeSantis says seniors are the priority now, and he will not add teachers to the list unless they're really old. Not at this time. I mean, any teacher that's 65 or older or who meets other criteria. I mean, for example, the hospitals have the ability to vaccinate somebody regardless of age if they're especially vulnerable to COVID. Uh, but basically, this is for us, this is based on data. And if you look at the COVID mortality, 65 and up represents over 80% of the COVID-related mortality in our country and in our state of Florida. Uh, so that's where we got to focus uh, on the outset. Uh, the average person under 65 in our workforce has been at less risk than our senior population to COVID. So we're going where the risk is greatest. We're going where we can have the most impact on saving lives. The governor says teachers and other essential workers will probably have to wait until the new single-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine is available. That's still in the trial stage, and even if everything goes well, it won't be available until the end of February at the earliest. The issue of vaccinating teachers was raised during a meeting of the Orange County Legislative Delegation, where local folk get the chance to tell their lawmakers the issues that matter most for the upcoming legislative session. Orange County Mayor Jerry Deming says their priorities are COVID, affordable housing, and putting a stop to state preemption of local government authority. Let me just say to you, uh, Happy New Year. I certainly uh, believe that 2021 would be a better year for all of us than 2020 was for us. Uh, normally, I would welcome you to the Orange County Administration building. However, under the circumstances, I'm glad to join you virtually as we all prepare for the 2021 legislative session. As we continue to traverse these challenging times, I'm optimistic about the days and months ahead as the COVID-19 vaccine is rolled out in our community. It is critical that we have a strong partnership between the state and local governments as we continue to respond to our residents to meet the needs of the current present age of a pandemic and public emergency. I would like to highlight two critical issues for Orange County, uh, one being affordable housing. I want to thank you for your commitment to protect the Sadowski Housing Trust Fund during the 2020 session. We know that our work is not done there. In Orange County, we have over 110,000 households that are cost burdened. The governor's veto action left the Housing Trust Funds frozen and our efforts must start anew this year. We know that because of the pandemic, uh, the issues centered around housing affordability 
uh, homelessness is going to be exacerbated. And we look forward to working with you to ensure that we do receive funding to be able to adequately address the growing need in our community. Orange County cannot do this work alone. It takes the federal, state, and local governments, along with the public and private sectors, to change the direction of affordable housing within our community. The Sadowska Trust Fund is a critical tool that can increase affordable housing for our residents. Beyond rental assistance and eviction diversion efforts currently underway, we need a more sustainable, long-term solution to meet the housing needs in our community. We, number two, are concerned about home rule. The second issue is a broader concept, but one of equal importance to us. As Orange County's population continues to grow, it is important that we empower local voters and their local representatives to work with our state officials to develop and execute a policy as close to home. Uh, it is in our communities where the rubber meets the road and where we do have to make certain that the delivery of service uh, is what it should be. State preemption of local government takes away uh, our ability to, to have a say in how our community is governed. Uh, I look forward to better communication with uh, the current governor. Uh, we have struggled in some regards with ensuring that there was uh, good communication throughout the state when we have been asked to implement various executive orders. And uh, I look forward to working with all of you to ensure that that communication uh, between our county and our state improves. Uh, nowhere is it more important than in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. I also ask you to help us to protect the home rule. These legislative delegation meetings are happening all across the state, including hearings today in Osceola, Broward, and Clay counties. A Jacksonville lawmaker who lost her seat in last year's election is trying to beat a lawsuit by claiming legislative immunity. We'll have that story right after this word from our sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we're much obliged. If you live along the I-4 corridor, learn to use your business experience to impact public policy. Apply by January 8th to the Central Florida Political Leadership Institute at cflpli.org. The Orlando Economic Partnership offers this free, nonpartisan program for business-minded leaders to explore whether elected or appointed office is right for them, discover political strategies to succeed and lead, and join a network of influencers. Apply by January 8th at cflpli.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. A former legislative aide by the name of Karen Rigian was fired after she reported that her boss, Representative Kim Daniels of Jacksonville, ordered her to perform personal errands on state time at taxpayer expense. So the aide sued, claiming her First Amendment rights were violated because she faced retaliation for reporting misconduct. House leaders never did anything to punish Daniels, and they're paying for her legal defense. Daniel Bell is the lead lawyer for the House of Representatives, and he's asking the First District Court of Appeal to dismiss the lawsuit because of a legal concept called qualified immunity. Whether or not uh, the, the, these issues about performing personal errands and, and this kind of stuff, whether that was within the scope of her duties is irrelevant to this case. Uh, the, whether or not she was correct or was not correct in what she reported to House administration has no bearing on anything in this case. 
the complaint fails to establish a First Amendment violation because taking the allegations is true. The speech for which Ms. Riggian claims she was subject to retaliation simply wasn't protected by the First Amendment. For government employees' speech to be protected, the employee must speak as a citizen rather than an employee and must also show that the primary purpose of the speech was to raise matters of public concern. And here, Ms. Riggian alleges that she complained to the director of House Administration, who she accurately characterizes in the complaint as a superior, uh, and she says that she raised issues concerning, in her words, mistreatment, uh, referring to her boss's management of the office, uh, specifically what tasks she, tasks she was assigned to perform and who she was assigned to report to. And our position here is narrow. Our position is that whereas here, an employee complains to a superior about working conditions or job duties, she's speaking as an employee, not as a citizen. So but Rigian's attorney, Marie Maddox, told the court there is no immunity when a lawmaker is accused of ripping off taxpayers by using a legislative aid to take care of her personal business. That defendant would regularly assign plaintiff to perform personal tasks such as working on defendant's home insurance or helping defendant's son gain, gain admission to Florida State University. Plaintiff knew these duties were outside the course and scope of her job duties as a public employee. That is a fact. That's not a legal conclusion. She's performing personal tasks for a representative, and she believes that those are costing taxpayer money. So she not only objects to the representative, to Representative Daniels, um, she then reported those tasks to the, the director of House Administration, Steve Godwin, and said, I'm being required to do things on taxpayer dollars. My salary is being paid in order to do personal tasks for her. So, and we said specifically, plaintiff reported all instances of defendant requiring plaintiff to perform personal, non-governmental tasks outside the course and scope of her job duties. And she had reported not only those tasks, but it also reported, as we have pled, that Gary Johnson, um, uh, the representative's boyfriend, had stepped in and was also having her perform tasks that were not part of her job duties. So when she went to House Administration, she reported uh, that this was costing to the director of House Administration and told him that this was costing taxpayer money because she was being paid to do tasks that were not part of her ordinary job duties. There's a reason House leaders are trying to bury this suit. Lawmakers in Tallahassee have a long history of abusing employees by treating them as personal assistants instead of professional staffers. If Daniels is held to account, any one of them could be next. Who knows, they might even have to run their own errands. Your calendar of events begins 9 o'clock in the morning when the Osceola County Legislative Delegation meets in Kissimmee as they prepare for the 2021 session. The Florida Public Service Commission meets at 10 to continue a series of online hearings about a proposal by Utilities Incorporated to increase water and wastewater rates in Central Florida. The Broward County Legislative Delegation holds a workshop with the Broward County School Board at 10. That's followed by a public hearing at noon as they prepare for the upcoming legislative session. And the Clay County Legislative Delegation meets at 3.30 in Green Cove Springs. Finally today, deputies in Brevard County say a Florida man who rode his airboat through the streets on New Year's Eve threatened to kill them as he was being arrested. 
The report for 40-year-old Joseph Prohaska says he was lighting fireworks and knocking over garbage cans with his airboat, and when deputies tried to talk to him, he revved up the engine to drown them out. He was arrested, and when a deputy tried to take his father into custody, Prohaska allegedly said, I will kill you if you hurt him. So now he's not only charged with disorderly conduct, he's charged with threatening a law enforcement officer. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we continue to plumb the depths of Florida politics.